Chapter 24 What a wondrous head it was! The forehead was high and wide, topped with a mass of grey-black hair. Thick black eyebrows arched finely over a long, thin nose whose bridge, steep-angled, shone in the light. The jaw, narrow and also very long, was covered by a great bushy beard, while the eyes, the eyes, they were grey, deep-shadowed, wise, and very, very sad. Who are you? The name's Gom, Gom Gobblechuck, the woodcutter's son, Gom said. I've a mind that you've been calling me. Your mind tells you right, Gom Gobblechuck. I've been expecting you. To bury you, I think. Partly. I've been down here too long. I would lie beneath the stars. It just so happens, Gom said promptly, that I've the very place for you. A mulberry tree as wide as any you ever saw by a high waterfall. The water sings all year round, even in the deep winter freeze. And come the spring, the new leaves pop lacy as doilies, and the new melted snow chatters down from the peak. But who are you, and how did you come here? They called me Mandrick, and I came from far away. The dark eyes glittered. I was a merchant once. I had great wealth and power, and I enjoyed the favor of queens and kings. But at the last, I grew tired of commerce and the pomp of worldly affairs. I walked away from it all, and took refuge here, seeking the richer realms within the mind. Oh, how wonderful and interesting, Gom said. To think that such an important person would leave the great far away for Windy Mountain. The mouth twisted wryly. Not so wonderful, and not so interesting. A fool's a fool alone as in a crowd. That I learned too late. Before I could go home, I fell sick and died. After all this time, burial with my kin has lost meaning. But I would, as I've said, like to feel starlight on my grave. Mandrick fixed Gom with a keen stare. Gom's hand went to the rune. He pulled it out without thinking and turned it about in his fingers. So he had been right. The gold was Mandrick's gift, not the rune's. Disastrous gift indeed. But the man had meant well, so he would not tell him of it. Instead, Gom said, Thank you for the gold, but there was no need. I would have buried you for nothing. Mandrick's heavy eyebrows went up. The gold? You think it came from me? Young man, think again. But who then? Your mother. Your mother, boy. She it was who would have you find it. Come closer. Show me what you have in your hand. Dazed, 
Gom stepped forward and held out the rune. His mother? That's it. Now, turn it slowly. Good. The eyes half closed as Mandrik examined its curious markings. Ten years it is since I last saw that stone. The eyes suddenly opened wide. Young man, do you know to whom it belongs? Why, to me? My mother left it by me when she went away. Yes, yes, but do you know who she is? Do I? Gom stared. Obviously not. Turn the stone again until I say, That's it. Now, stop. See those curly lines running around the edge from top to bottom? That is her name. The rest I can't read, for they are magical signs that give the name its power. His mother's name. Then he'd been right. This was writing. His mother was a wizard, just as he'd guessed. What is the name? What does it say? Gom stepped even closer in his excitement, thrusting the stone practically under Mandrick's nose. It says, Hager the Brown. Mandrick's mouth curved into a smile. You look just like her, you know. I do? As many times as Stig had told him this, Gom felt strongly affected by Mandrick's words. He looked away from Mandrick, unable to speak. She didn't tell me her name, of course, Mandrick went on. She wouldn't, to keep hold the rune's power. But I knew her as soon as I saw her. She is a legend out there. Gom turned back to Mandrick. You say you saw the stone only ten years ago? You can't have, for you've been down here much longer than that. Mandrick smiled gravely. You not only look like her, but you have a touch of her mind. Your mother came down here many times. How, I cannot tell you. She found my remains and gave me power to speak with her. It is only through her that I appear to you like this. The grey eyes went dreamy. Many times we spoke of life and... Things. The last time I saw her, she told me that she was going away. She asked me to watch for you around this time and to show you the gold. She wanted you to find it, to make of it what you would. What did you make of it, by the way? Gone suddenly realizing the implications of Mandrick's words, stepped backward. That's a lie, he cried. That gold brought father and me nothing but trouble and sorrow. If my mother is a wizard, she would have known that. She would never have wished such upon her own family. Mandrick's mouth twisted. You think not. I repeat, what did you make of it, young man? Tell me for I would know what lesson she would have you learn. The grey eyes looked steadily into Gom's angry dark ones. 
Gom's anger subsided suddenly, and he found himself telling Mandrick everything of how he had gone into the gully to find the frog, how he had found the flakes instead. Though you already know about that, he said, and the vision of the gold lumps. He told of Skeller and the way the man had sought to kill him, of Stig going under the mountain and Skeller's death. He told about the fiasco down in the town and his failed attempt to run away, and lastly, of his own change of heart and his efforts to bury the past and begin again. So now the gold's gone. I've put it back more or less where I found it. I'm setting my past behind me, seeking to please my father by becoming a proper woodcutter's son. And that's the whole awful tale. Gom looked to Mandrick, waiting for him to speak. But the grey eyes regarded Gom fixedly while the silence lengthened. So, Mandrick spoke at last. You had no use for the gold then. It's all over with it, I suppose. Gom nodded. Yes, and evil, and thoughts are far away. Absently, he turned the rune over and over between his fingers. Mandrick smiled. You think that since it proved a worthless nuisance here, it were best buried. Is that what your mother wanted you to learn? Gom considered. That could be. Fool! Mandrick cried, his voice suddenly harsh. What lesson is that? No. This is what she would have you learn. Bury a thing of great price and you deserve to lose it. Out there in the wide world, gold buys not cabbages, but kings. Gom frowned. I don't understand, he said. Mandrick's voice went soft again. No more you should. That is why Harga had you find the gold. Listen, as you are your mother's true son, you have gold within you of far greater value than that yellow stuff you tossed down after that ruffian. Gold that cannot remain buried within you here. You must take your treasure from Windy Mountain where it never will be recognized and out into the wide world. That is what Harger would have you learn from the gold. The lips parted into a sudden smile. The extra lesson from that rogue Skeller was an unforeseen bonus. Or was it, knowing Harger? An extra lesson? If you must take your inner wealth out there, take care to keep it close, showing it to no man until you are sure he's not another Skeller. But what wealth? And where would I take it? You will know, given a little thought. Your way lies Far. through dangers and hardships, no doubt, and for a purpose perhaps known only to Haga. Gom's heart beat fast. Mandrick, I believe you now, even though I do not yet fully understand you. But it hurts to think that my mother could have brought such trouble upon my father and me. Such a strong lesson it was, even cruel. Cool. 
the grey eyes flashed. You think the roads out there are lined with cradles and blankets to wrap you in? Young man, you have watched the creatures up on this mountain raise their young. Do you think them cruel, bringing up their offspring hard, to teach them to survive? Gum looked down. I suppose not. He felt foolish. Hargus son or no, he wasn't making a very good showing in front of Mandrick. This is all so sudden, he said, and strange. Can you tell me anything more about my mother and, and the rune? You say it has some of her power. I have felt it many times. Vibrating, like now. Times like this I can almost hear it humming. Here, let me put it to your ear. Nay, Mandrick said, that would be of no use. The stone sings only for those who are meant to hear. The grey eyes glittered. Take my advice, boy. Remember Skella. Show neither your own treasure or that rune until you are sure of your company. As for the rune, there are those who would bear that token ill will, and him who wears it for Haga. Gum, frowning, twisted the rune's leather thong in his fingers. Why, is my mother... bad? No, certainly not. She is good. For a wizard. She is perhaps the most powerful wizard in all the world. Though you must never repeat that aloud out there if you would stay alive. Why? Why? The wide mouth curled into a smile. Haga is of the brown order. Brown order? Gom asked, but the grey eyes were closing. Your way lies over the mountains, Mandrick said. His voice had grown weary. That is part of your lesson. Oh, you'll stay on here as long as your father needs you, doing your duty as a good son should. But after that, go seek your mother. Wizards don't give away their runes, but only loan them for a while, even to their children. He laughed softly. Most put out your mother'll be if she has to come all the way back here to fetch it. Gum glanced down at the rune. Go to seek his mother? He began to feel dizzy. Mandrick opened his eyes wide, fixing them for a last time on Gom. I wish you great good luck. You'll need it. The lids fluttered shut. I am spent. I'll sleep now. My good wishes go with you, Gom Gobblechuck. Son of Haga the Brown, farewell. The light shimmered, 
blurring the fine outlines of the head, then faded, leaving only a dim glow from the aged skull. Then it died, leaving Gom in the dark. It was some time before Gom took up the skull. He did so gingerly, remembering the shock he'd gotten from it last time. But it felt dead, lifeless. He stood with it for a few moments, feeling its dryness, its brittleness, its very antiquity. Then he took it with the greatest respect away down the passage, up and out, under the starlight. The hole under the mulberry tree was deep and dry, dug with a spade fetched from the back of the hut. Gum had also brought with him a small cedar box from the back of the woodshed, and into this he carefully arranged the bones, topping them with the skull. He closed the lid and was just about to place the box into the hole when he got up again and began casting about in the undergrowth. Presently satisfied, he bent once more and raised the lid of the box. There, Mandrick, sir, he said softly. It's not much, but it's the best I can do at short notice. And with that, he laid in the box a briar rose, a sprig of mint, two jay's feathers, a handful of cobnuts. Then, on second thought, he added the golden loader leaf and lastly, in a rush of goodwill, his precious insect in the stone. Sleep well, Mandrick, and farewell. He closed the lid a second time lowered the box into the hole, and replaced the earth. Then, his mind full of all that Mandrick had told him, he wandered off back home. His father was standing at the door in his nightshirt, a lantern in his hand. Son, son, where have you been? His face looked ashen in the yellow lamplight. Gom opened his mouth to tell, then changed his mind. Hadn't he stirred his father up enough already? What with the gold and scalar and the fuss down in the town, and his almost running away? It had wounded his father more deeply than ever he could have realized. Hilsa had told him on their last visit how Stig had sat looking out for the wife day after day when Gom had been born. Don't blame yourself, Gom, dear, she'd said, hugging him to her. You weren't to know. But when the bottom has dropped out of a man's life once, he's bound to be leery of it happening again. He'll get over it in time. Gom hung his head in shame. He'd known had known that night standing in the cabbage patch with stock. I've been out walking, father. I got too hot and stuffy lying there. I wanted to clear my head a bit. Well, that was true. He took the lantern from Stig and went inside, angry with himself. How stupid 
not to think that his father would wake and find him gone and fear that he'd run off again. The fire was still warm. He kicked the ashes and blew on the embers. Let's have a cup of tea, father, and some toast. Walking about and thinking works one up a fearful appetite. It was almost dawn when he finally lay down in his bed. He'd made light of his walk, had told Stig some preposterous tales of what he'd seen under the trees, and Stig, at Gom's request, had sung the comical ballad of the amorous quail. Hardly worth getting ourselves done, son, Stig said, putting out the lamp at last. I think for once we'll let old man Cardinal wake up the day on his own. Gom, laughing, agreed. But the laugh did not go deep. How he longed to tell his father about Hager and the rune and Mandrick. But his father would only start fretting over the wife all over again. And if Stig was worried now about Gom leaving him, how would he feel if Gom told him what Mandrick said? Your way lies over the mountains. No, he must keep that episode to himself, telling no one. Not Stig, not Hilsa, not Stock. No one. He turned over restlessly. He was tired. So tired. But he didn't sleep for Mandrick's words went through and through his head. You must take your treasure from Windy Mountain and out into the wide world. That is what Hager would have you learn. From the next day on, Gom was true to his resolution setting himself to work to become a good son and a credit to Stig. If he did visit Cessary still, from time to time, it was rarely, and with the greatest, discretion. After times, though, he took to sitting under the mulberry, turning the rune over in his hands, staring at the markings on the stone as though they might tell him their mystery. But to his great vexation, he couldn't even be sure now which Wiggles had spelled out Hager's name. So much for being his mother's true son. Summer faded into fall, and with it the excitement of that night's encounter. Thoughts of far away grew dim, and his world shrank once more to the limits of Windy Mountain. But every now and then something would stir his blood to restlessness and thoughts of what might lie beyond the horizon. Gom was passing by the mulberry tree late one afternoon when wind blew through, lifting the dying leaves, shaking them gently to earth. Gom raised his head and sniffed. There was a strange smell in the clearing he'd never noticed before. A sweet, tangy smell, fresh and rotten and salty all at once. Why, that's the smell of the sea, Wind told him. I thought I'd bring you a little back, seeing as how you keep looking yonder. The sea? What was that? Why, it's a great salt creek. Almost as big as the whole world, Wind said. 
a restless, rolling, rollicking, roiling, boiling body of water that's never still. And in it live creatures that you'd never dream of. You must go and see them some day for yourself. How far away is it? Gum asked. But wind had already gone over the little stream and on. So Gom simply sat and thought about the sea and what else lay beyond the mountain. Once he'd thought that the mountain was the whole world, until Hutal had put him right. This little pile of rock on which you are so perilously perched, Hutal said, is no more than a pimple on the great face of the world. Even I, who've never flown farther than your eye can see, knows that. Why, there are vast wonders out there of which I can't conceive, and I'm much wiser than you. Well, obviously this sea was one. And when next he spoke with Wind, he asked more about it. And about other matters, too. About life and how each body came to be its own self. Simple, Wind murmured in reply. Take me, for instance. My breath blows different tunes through different places, while in itself it remains the same. At one and the same breath from me, some things bow, some break. Some things scatter and multiply, while others are destroyed. With that same breath I bear some things aloft, others I sweep into all. That same breath is welcome to some, by others shunned. And yet, as I said, it's the one breath. Within myself, I am constant. I am what I am. I go my way. Let each thing make of me what it will. Well, that's good, Gon cried. That's how I'll be. Whatever folks say of me in future, good or bad, I'll not heed, but just stay true to myself. And as he said that, he thought of the gold flake that he still kept in his pouch. A gift from Haga, as he now came to think of it. Prized by some, useless to others, valued and valueless. The same gold, the same flake. It was folks' attitudes that differed. How wise his mother was, and how clever to teach him that lesson long after she had gone away. All through the autumn days, Garm toiled alongside Stig, even wielding the large axe when his father got tired, and in the end surprised himself with his own strength. More and more he did the heavy work like stacking big logs and loading the cart, although Stig always insisted on taking that cart down into town. You're a fine son, Stig said to him one morning, when the tang of frost lay on the air. 
Gom's birthday it was, eleven years to the day on which the wife had disappeared, and as clear and sharp and sunny as that very one had been. A father couldn't wish for better, and a fine woodcutter you're turning out to be. Gom nodded and smiled, but when his father wasn't looking, he glanced up past the mountain peak, beyond the rim, to where the treetops bled into the sky. He would never leave Stig. Over there somewhere was far away, and the sea, and queens and kings and great cities. And Hager the Brown. He looked down into the mists huddling over the valley and sighed. Mandrick had said he'd leave one day, but Garm couldn't see it. The seasons slowly came and went. At last, Stig's fine yellow thatch turned completely white. His blue eyes faded and grew weak, and his voice wavered in the wind. But as ever, he still insisted on doing the main work outside, felling and chopping, and wheeling the cart down into the town, gum pulling a smaller one now to lighten the load, until one deep winter snowfall blocked the track. 